Section 12 of Shen and the Sea, a book for children. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Shen of the Sea, a book for children by Arthur Bowie Chrisman. I wish it would rain. It rains and rains in Kyong Sing, and then it rains some more. No sooner is one cloud passed than another comes treading on its heels. By day and by night the raindrops patter, and Ko Tzu from his lily pad croaks, More rain, more rain! Old men going to bed wear their Wei Li rain hats instead of tasseled nightcaps. Many young people have only a hazy idea as to what the word sun means. Pour and beat and drizzle, drizzle and drive with the gale, and that is Kyang Sing. Three reasons are given by the people of Kyangsing for their extremely weepy climate. Some say that the Shen Yu Shi, who lords over the clouds, lives nearby on the Daylight Mountain. Others are firm in their declaration that Mu Yi, the mighty archer, and the naughty fellow withal, shot the sky above Kyangsing full of arrow holes. Naturally, a sky full of arrow holes is bound to leak. There are still others and very learned folk among them, who declare that Mei Li, weeping for her lost hero, Wei Sheng, is responsible for the torrents. Deer only knows which is the correct theory. It may be that all three are to blame. The only certainty is that Kyang Sing has a very heavy rainfall, and that Tiao Fu lived there and learned to love wet weather. To love it? She hated it. Tiao Fu was a very pretty maiden, no gainsaying that. She had the most wonderful black long hair and all Kyang Sing. But beauty was her one and only possession. She had no skill with the needle, whether to sew or embroider. Her cooking was more than a disgrace. When her fingers touched the pipa, that usually sweet-toned instrument gave out a demon's wail. She could not even smooth a quilt on the kang. The beds were all hills and hollows. How could she make beds when her hair needed burnishing? She scarce knew which end of a broom was meant for the floor. How could she sweep when her hair required glossing? New matting would cover the floor's disarray. Tiao Fu smoothed her hair and dreamed of the time when she would marry a rich Mandarin and be carried in glory away from Kyang Sing and its terrible rains. The hateful rains of Kyang Sing. No wonder her father, Chang Chi, became so poverty-stricken. Gradually his fortune slipped away until his only property was the large and poorly furnished, extremely ill-kept house in which he lived. Even so, this house, when viewed from the street, appeared superior to its fellows. It was the handsomest and most considerable yamen in Pingjen village. The size and appearance of the yamen accounts for what happened. One fiendish night, in a mighty drumming of rain, there came a more noisy drumming of maces upon Chang-Chi's door. "'Open in the king's name!' commanded voices outside. Forthwith Chang-Chi flung open the door. He beheld runners dressed in the royal livery, and in their hands the gold-banded staves of their authority. "'Prepare to receive and entertain the illustrious person of Ho-Chu, the king!' His Most Gracious Majesty will arrive at Sha Shi Qian within a slight shower's time. Therefore prepare. It is a command. Far from entertaining royalty, 
Old Cheng Chi had never so much as glimpsed a king. Heart and knees failed him utterly. He could only grovel upon the floor and mutter weakly of his unworthiness. Tiao Fu, however, was not so deeply affected. A king? Let him enter. Say what you please, kings are mortal men. No food in the house? Ya, ya, pei. Pish, poo. And the tradesman refused all credit? What of it? No tradesman in his senses would refuse a bargain. And what would the bargain be? Tiao Fu snatched up her little-used embroidery scissors. Snip, snip, snip. Down fell a cataract of her long black hair. Snip, snip, again and again. The hair that was her vanity lay upon the floor. Her lustrous hair sacrificed to make a feast for the king. Hastily donning her father's Wei Li, she dashed from the house. There was no trouble in making a bargain. The tradesman's first offer was almost within reason, and Tiao Fu had no time to wrangle. She bartered her hair for cooked fowls and rice and all that goes to make a dinner. King Ho Chu arrived betimes. The weather despite, he was in good spirit. He was such a considerate and jolly monarch that he soon had old Chang Chi at perfect ease. The dinner was a delight to eye and tongue. It was the best meal that had been served in Chang Chi's home for many a moon, and Tiao Fu's hair bought it. After the cups were turned down, King Ho Chu inquired about his horse. To reiterate, he was a most considerate sovereign. He wished to feel sure that his steed was housed from the rain and shoulder-deep in a well-filled manger. Cheng Chi beamingly affirmed that the horse had been provided for lavishly. What else could he say? However, he would make sure, doubly sure, by going to the stable again. Of course, the poor horse had not a mouthful. There was not so much as a wisp of hay in the stable, not so much as a bean or a stalk. Cheng Chi was sunken in weepy despair when the girl Tao Fu appeared with a matting from her bedroom floor. It was a newly made matting of bright clean straw. Tao Fu tore it into shreds and filled the manger heaping. Thus was the king's horse supplied with food. Food none too nourishing, but food nevertheless. There are many channels through which kings may receive news and rumors and tittle-tattle. What with the secret police and the mandarins who wish to gain favor and the, the sparrows, the royal palace keeps well informed. Besides, one historian takes several pages to prove that Tao Fu possessed a tongue and could use it to her advantage. However that may be, the news spread. Within a day, King Ho Chu learned how the maid Tao Fu had provided a feast at the expense of her hair. He learned all about the shredded matting, and his laughter shook the throne. He bestowed more than a passing thought upon Tao Fu of the quaintly bobbed locks, the maiden a thousand years ahead of her time, and having thought, he acted. He said to the minister of domestic affairs, Prepare a room with hangings of orange-colored silk. To the minister of the treasury he said, Bestow a dozen or so bars of gold upon the mandarin Chang-chi. The minister of matrimony received his command, Arrange me a wedding with the maid Tao-fu of Kyung-sing. So all things were arranged and came to pass. King Ho-chu was well pleased. Old Chang-chi was the happiest man living. The maid Tao-fu was quite content for a space. 
She had gowns of gorgeousness undreamed. She had slaves to kneel and knock their heads whenever she beckoned. She had priceless jewels and food of the rarest. Incidentally, she had in the king a doting husband. She had everything. Everything, except rain. Is it not hard to believe that Tao Fu grew homesick for the reigns of Kyung Sing? It is a strain upon belief, yet it is true, indubitably. Tao Fu longed for the reins of her drenched and soggy, much-bedrizzled Kyung Sing. Did the king present her with a new necklace, she threw it petulantly away, exclaiming that she wanted rain. Oh, I wish it would rain, said Tao Fu. Why don't you make it rain? Then I will, said the king. He installed a myriad of high-spouting fountains at no slight drain to the treasury. Are you pleased, my beauteous Tiao Fu? No, fretfully. It is not like the rains of Kyung Sing. Why are the trees not green? The trees are bare and brown. Oh, I wish it would rain, a green-bringing rain. The trees might very well be bare and brown. Winter's greedy fingers had stripped them thoroughly. King Ho Chu gazed at the barren limbs for a lengthy period before his mind hit upon a scheme for bringing back the green. At length he summoned the royal tailor and to him said, Take many bales of green-colored silk and cut leaf-shaped pieces. Dip the pieces in wax, then sew them upon those bare branches. And use such artistry that no eye can discover they are not true leaves. Tzu Po, be quick. The Cheng Yi, make clothes, hastily employed all the city's master workmen, some cutting and many sewing. Overnight the trees took on a color. Indeed, the tailor went beyond his orders, for on the peach trees he sewed lovely pink blossoms, and some blossoms he tracked to the ground, as if in their ripeness they had fallen. For a few days Tiao Fu was in somewhat better humor. Once she actually smiled. But all too soon those few days were over, and her crossness returned. "'What now, my pearl of southern seas?' said the king. "'Have the leaves lost their freshness? Do they no longer please?' "'Oh,' pout, "'it isn't the leaves. They are quite homelike. It's the wind that I miss. I long to hear the shrieking wind of Kyung Sing hurling its rain against my lattice. Oh, I wish it would rain.' Poor King Ho Chu was hard put. Wind? Wind? By the uprooted pine tree of Mount Tai, how was he to produce the wind? A good half hour, sixty minutes in that land, passed before he had an inspiration. Again he called for the royal tailor. Procure, he told the tailor, many bales of the stoutest silk. Then place some of your brawniest men outside yonder lattice, and have them rip the silk, tear it into strips, with all the noise possible. With which King Ho Chu entered the treasury to see how his gold was dwindling. Huge armed stalwarts stood outside Tiao Fu's window. Their hands clutched the woven silk. A pull, shriek, pull, shriek. For two days the brow of Tiao Fu was smooth and untroubled. She actually spoke kindly to the king. He, poor soul, didn't hear it. He was too busy wondering what the next task would be and how expensive. Scarcely a hundred bales of silk had been torn when Tao Fu hurled her crown across the room and began to weep. 
"'My dear, what's the trouble? What is the trouble?' questioned Ho-Chu. "'Is the wind too violent?' "'Oh, no, the wind is natural enough, and it pleases me. I miss—oh, how I do miss the rumbling thunder of Kyung-Sing and the fall of lightning-shattered trees. I miss them, and, oh, I wish it would rain, real rain.' The tears fell faster with each word. Now King Ho-Chu had a tremendous army encamped on the palace grounds. He summoned General Chang and explained matters with an order. No sooner ordered than accomplished. The soldiers in the heaviest shoes marched ponderously beneath the lattice window. Boom, boom, brum, brum, brump. And how do you like our thunder? Little drums and great, they rattled and roared. Rap, boom, boom. In endless line the soldiers marched. One day, two days, three days, four. Some of them slept while the others marched. Boom, boom, boom. The sun on their spears blazed and flickered. The lightning. By night there were flashing fires. It is gratifying to relate that Tiao Fu was moderately pleased. Her appetite returned and the tears were withheld. She spoke to the king with kindness several times. All might have gone well had not some malcontents down Kang Tzu way started a rebellion. Off went the army, General Chang waving his sword and the smallest drummer boy thumping with glee. That was at midnight. The dawn was at its breaking when beacons along the line of march flared up. Halt! was the signal. The army halted. Again the beacons flared. They spelled the word, Return! Tao Fu was not so well. She longed for the roll of the drums to remind her of Kyung Sing's thunder. What could the poor king do but recall his army? The rebellion in Kansu continued merrily, and General Chang, who was an old-time soldier, expressed his opinion, rather explosively, to a sympathetic staff officer. But never mind that. Let the drums sound. When the rebellion spread to Kansi, the king felt that things had gone quite far enough. It was time to teach those rebels a lesson. Away went the army again. A whole day passed, and no return order was signaled. Night came, and the army tramped onward. A pillar of flame shot up from a hilltop. It was a beacon. Return, said the beacon. Not I, said General Chang. I've had enough of the queen's whims. Besides, it's raining right now. Forward, march! The army entered Kansu, and there encountered the rebels. It is better that the fight go undescribed. Here suffice it to say that, if so much as one rebel escaped, he took pains to keep the fact secret. There is no mention of him in the books. General Chang was jubilant. Surely the king would be highly pleased. The king, good gracious, King Ho Chu himself, on a breathless steed, stumbled across the battlefield. "'Why didn't you return?' panted the king. "'I, I, I,' stammered General Chang. But the king said more. "'The Tartars swooped down just a few hours ago, carrying off my queen, raiding my treasury, though it was empty, and forcing me to flee for my life. They carried off the queen.' "'How terrible!' exclaimed General Chang, looking into his sleeve." And my army is so tired that it can't march a step. Besides, the roads will soon be Puneng Chu. Can't go with the rain. End 
of section 12.